pray together. Father, we thank you that on this night, your light broke into the world through a little baby. Thank you for those who bore witness to that light. Thank you for the stories written down for us. Would you this night make it real to us, make it come alive in our hearts and minds and imaginations that we might worship you, that we might be filled with all of the joy of Christmas. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. At 5.44 a.m. Wednesday morning, something extraordinary happened in our part of the world. After six months of steadily advancing, darkness was stopped in its tracks. It could advance no further. From that moment on, in the northern hemisphere, darkness has begun to retreat. And for the next six months we will see more and more light come into the world. We call this the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year. And for thousands of years, humanity has marked this day, often celebrating it with religious festivals. We might look down on those as primitive and pagan, and indeed they are. But imagine yourself living 5,000 years ago in northern Europe, before Christianity, before Judaism, before the invention of electric light. Darkness brought winter and cold and hunger and death, but when the light came back, life was restored. That was a reason to celebrate, to have a festival, to worship God in the way that you understood Him. Are you aware that there is a debate about the dating of Christmas? Um, why do we celebrate this day? We remember this great event of the birth of Jesus on December 25th. Well, many suggest that early Christians simply co-opted pagan religious festivals around the winter solstice. That's the popular explanation. There was a Roman celebration of the birth of the pagan god Sol Invictus, the unconquered sun. It happened on, can you guess it, December 25th. And so for many people, the connection just seems obvious. There is, however, another explanation that draws on evidence from the practices of the early church. The theory is based on the date of Jesus' conception, which back then was tied to the date of his death, which they're more able to date based on the evidence given in the Gospels. So conception and death tied together. We celebrate the conception as the Feast of the Annunciation. That's when the angel comes to Mary, speaks the word, and she miraculously becomes pregnant. Though we read those stories at Christmas, the church celebrates that annunciation, that conception, every year on March 25th, exactly nine months before December 25th. So in this theory, the church set December 25th as the birth of Jesus, not because of the pagan holiday, but because it was exactly nine months after Mary became pregnant. Well, regardless of why Christmas was placed on December 25th, I actually think the overlap with the winter solstice sends a wonderful message about the theology of Christmas. The writer Mike Cosper calls it a metaphorical genius. He notes that every year, just as the days become their shortest in our hemisphere, Christians open their Bibles and read these words from Isaiah 9. 
the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You see, like the winter solstice, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, stops the advance of darkness and sends it into retreat. The Word has become flesh. God has entered His creation. He now dwells with us, Emmanuel. His coming means that we can emerge from our cocoons of darkness and feel the light of life warming our souls, and we can finally leave that long winter of sin. Our gospel reading from John chapter 1 speaks of Jesus' pre-incarnate existence, His existence before He was conceived. John calls Him the Word, the Logos in Greek. He reminds us that Jesus' existence didn't start at conception. Rather, He was with God in the beginning, and everything was made through Him. Jesus was the agent in creation. He dwells with God from all eternity as the eternal Son of God. And we come to that great verse 14 where we read these words right at the heart of Christmas. And the Word, the Logos, the eternal Son of God became flesh and He dwelt among us. But this evening, I want to go back up a few verses and spend a little time considering verse 5. Because I think it has something profound to say that we need to hear. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them to John chapter 1, verse 5, and you could follow along. John writes, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Of all the gospel writers, it's John who who loves to talk about light and darkness. He uses them repeatedly in his gospel. For John, Jesus, of course, is the light. He's the one who records Jesus' words in chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. When John calls Jesus the light, he means that Jesus is the source of truth and of life, both creation, physical life, as well as spiritual life. John was probably steeped in the Psalms, and so his inspiration may have been Psalm 36, verse 9, which says this about God. For with you is the fountain, the source of life. In your light do we see light. So when we hear light in John, think about Jesus as the source of all truth, life, the source of all that is beautiful and good. Darkness, on the contrary, for John, is all that is evil. Anything that is the antithesis to the light is darkness. In chapter 3, John records these words of Jesus, people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So like many religious writers, John sees this conflict between light and and darkness. Long before there was Star Wars, there was John writing this down. I watched Star Wars this afternoon, the second one, or the fifth one, whatever. The numbering gets all off in my head. So there's this conflict between light and darkness, but where others see a balance between the two, John reveals something else. 
You see, up until verse 5, John has been speaking about things in the past tense. He said the Word was with God. All things were made through the Word. But then he writes this in verse 5, the light shines, present tense, in the darkness. In the Greek, it's an ongoing action. The light of Jesus shines from all eternity as he dwells with God. It shines in creation when he brought life into being. It shines even as John was writing down these words, and it shines on forever, never to be extinguished. The light shines. But what about the darkness? Well, here John switches back to the past tense. The darkness has not overcome it. The verb tense is a completed action in the past. It's not ongoing. And so the wording here makes students of the passage wonder, was there a definitive moment when the darkness tried to overcome the light and failed? Yes, I believe there was. In fact, I believe there were many definitive moments when this almost happened. In the primordial darkness before creation, the darkness could not overcome the power of God's Word speaking through His Son, let there be light. The darkness of the fall of Adam and Eve in the darkness in the garden could not overcome the promise of God and His deliverance through the seed of the woman. The darkness of Herod's fierce wrath could not overcome Mary and Joseph and the baby as they fled to Egypt to escape it. And the darkness of Good Friday, of a bloody cross and a sealed tomb, could not overcome the resurrection life of Jesus. You see, over and over, the darkness has tried to overcome the light. Sometimes it looks like it did overcome the light, but it fails every time. It always ends up as this past action of defeat. It tries, it tries, it fails, it fails. Every time we're shown that the darkness can't do what the darkness wants to do because the light is who the light is. Amen. Amen. There is no equal balance between light and darkness. Light is superior. It is triumphant. Darkness is defeated. The light can. The darkness could not. The light persists. The darkness is temporary. The light does what the light does. It shines. The darkness does what the darkness must do. When the light shines, it dispels. The light shines on. The darkness has not overcome it. Why talk about this at Christmas? Well, because we need to be reminded all the time, but something especially about Christmas we need to be reminded, partly because we live where we live and the days have grown darker and we are craving more light. But I think there's also something about this season that seems to accentuate the, the spiritual, the emotional darkness around us. I don't know what your experience of this season has been, Maybe, like me, you go into it wanting a silent night, wishing just for once that that Christmas could look like the glossy Christmas card. But so often it doesn't. So often we feel the darkness actually closing in around us. People seem to get sick more at Christmas, both, both a cold or a cough or something more extreme. Loved ones pass away around the holidays. My family's traveling to Kentucky to do a funeral on Tuesday for a family member. Loneliness, depression can creep up this time of year. Sin can rear its ugly head in all sorts of ways. Sometimes in family, it brings out the worst in us. Sometimes in the rampant materialism that surrounds this holiday. Sometimes just in boredom and emptiness as life slows down. 
Perhaps we'll manage to make it through Christmas with relative peace and happiness. And I don't want to be Debbie Downer. I hope you do have a Merry Christmas. But it won't be long, I'm sure, until the darkness attempts another assault on the light. So friends, here's what I want you to hear tonight. Here's what Christmas is about. If you've trusted in Christ, you're in the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So if you're in Christ, you have it. It's in you, and you are in it. And so what the darkness could not do to Jesus, it cannot do to you. If it cannot overcome Jesus, it cannot overcome you. It will try, it will press in, it will surround you, it will threaten you, but it will retreat. It must retreat because the light shines and the darkness has not overcome it. Some of you are here tonight, perhaps, and you make no confession of faith in Christ. Maybe you came with a friend or a family member. Maybe you just wanted to go to church and you stumbled in here and we're so glad that you did. I just want to say to you that there's only one source of light, and that's Jesus. Apart from Jesus, if you ignore Him, if you reject Him, there's only darkness. Jesus is the fountain of truth, of life, spiritual, physical life. He's the source of beauty and goodness. Tonight could be the night that you embrace Him. Tonight could be the night where you welcome His light into your life. From his perspective, there's nothing that you need to do to get your life in order. He's done all the work. He defeated the darkness. You don't have to do it. And when he comes as the light, he brings forgiveness. He brings hope and healing. And so if you've never trusted in Christ, I would encourage you that tonight you embrace the light and let him shine in the dark corners of your life. Let this night, friends, be your own spiritual winter solstice. When the darkness is stopped, it can go no further and it has to retreat because the light has come. Let's pray. Father, each in our own way, we need to be remembered and reminded of the light. Fill our minds, our thoughts, our hearts and emotions with it tonight. Those who may be coming to it for the first time, those of us who have known it for a long time, would you allow the light of Jesus to shine bright in each individual, in each family? We bless you that you came into the darkness of our world and you turned it around and we're heading for the day. We thank you for these things. We bless your name and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.